This is Nate Hansen and Tim Ritter. We are Almost Heretical. You can find us online at almostheretical.com. Hi, friends. It's Nate. I'm really glad you're listening along today. Um, you know, this show seems to bring people who are in many different stages of reimagining their faith. And maybe for you, you're just starting to see some cracks in the walls of things that you never thought that you would question. Maybe you're at a place of basically holding on to nothing that you used to. Or maybe you find yourself somewhere in between those two and not really sure where you're going to end up. Or maybe a friend just sent you this one episode randomly. You know, in my experience on this journey, you might lose things that you loved, but you also may gain many new things that you really never imagined finding. So I hope you discover those new things and enjoy this process, even though it's difficult. And I hope you know you're not alone on this journey. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation that I got to have with Audrey Assad. She's an artist known for her Christian music, of which she's been nominated for many awards. She's changed quite a bit in her faith, which you'll definitely hear in this interview. She also has a podcast called Archetypical, which is a show about archetypes that shape our psychology and society. I hope this interview is helpful and puts words to experiences that you've had. Okay, here's my conversation with Audrey Assad. Well, Audrey, I'm so excited to uh, connect and have you on the show. Um, yeah, just really excited to to get to talk to you. Thank you. We might we made it happen. We've been trying for a minute, so <laughs> yeah, we have, huh? I'm glad we did. Yeah, totally, totally. You know, I think everyone knows you because of music, and I think you know specifically this audience probably Christian music, and that's uh, that's sort of that was your identity. I think that was sort of the the world you were in. I'm I'm curious if you could kind of like zoom out just a little bit. Like, how did that how did that all happen? Did you grow up in the church? It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. give me just a little. Kind of 30,000 foot overview. Yeah. Um, I did grow up in the church. I grew up Plymouth Brethren, which is a small but global denomination in a very fundamentalist tradition. Um, and from, I, you know, it was funny that I ended up doing Christian music at all because the Plymouth Brethren had all these rules about how women couldn't sing or speak in front of anybody. Hmm. And I didn't write a song until I was 19 until I was leaving uh, the Plymouth Brethren behind. And I saw those liberal godless Baptists <laughs> with their women reading scriptures in public and no head coverings on. I was like, <gasps> <laughs> that was me. That was, I grew up Baptist. So. I thought it was so liberal, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm leading worship. What is that? Yeah. You know, like I was just like a whole transformation for me. So actually it was the first liberation in a long line of them. Um, was becoming a Baptist. And so anyway, I started writing songs at that time around 19 or 20 years old. And one thing led to another. And I had a friend who moved to Nashville and said, Hey, you should move here. So I did. And I made a little like EP thing. It's a short record, five songs and um, made that album when I moved to town in 2008. And then it just got passed to a couple of people and I signed a record deal. And then I was mm-hmm. off to the races with Christian music. It, it was kind of so um, unusually easy, actually. And I always took that as a sign that it was meant to be. And now I don't know what I would say. But at the time, I was like, this right. was meant, you know, it was fated. Um, God planned this. It was God's plan. Yeah. And so I became a Christian music artist. And that was in 2008, roughly speaking, wow. I want to say. 
Mm-hmm. And then obviously we're going to flash forward to your faith journey and, and we'll talk about that here in a bit and, and sort of um, the, yeah, that experience and, and um, that you've been on. But I guess I'm curious as you know, you're in the, I, I had a, I talked to Dr. Kristen Dumay who wrote Jesus and John Wayne, um, talked to her a couple of months ago and just, you know, her whole book is about this evangelical culture and how it really, uh, you know, it gives you your marching orders. It, it really dictates like what you do, what you wear, mm-hmm. what you say, what you read, who you hang out with, like what you watch. And, you know, I, my background is uh, producer in Christian radio, uh, Christian music radio, Christian talk radio. And, you know, you're in, you were in Christian music, the CCM world. And I'm just, I guess I'm just curious, like what kind of, did you feel any pressures or like, <laughs> Yeah, to like kind of fit any kind of a mold or like, yeah, what was that like for you? Yeah, you know, music business in general is built around categorizing artists as different things. It's sort of how people find the artists they like. And so Christian music is certainly no exception to that. It's like people will be like, if you love so-and-so, you'll love so-and-so because she's like a Christian version of that, you know? Right. So I, from the beginning, kind of got pegged as the Christian version of Sarah McLaughlin or the Christian version of Ingrid Michaelson mm. or whatever it would be. And what, what all of it had in common for me was very wholesome, very like poetic, wholesome and non-sexual. So like, very like mm. the crafty girl with her basket full of, I don't know. That was just for some reason that was like the, the type that I got casted as. And it even down to my record cover, my first album cover, I have yarn in my hair. <laughs> I would never wear yarn in my hair. <laughs> like it was kind of like they were like, "You're the Christian version of this, and we're gonna dress you like that, and we're gonna market you like that." Wow. So that was one of the earliest versions of that I experienced, where I was like, "This isn't." So this is what I do: I make uh, relatively deep, but but very. Um, there's a word I'm looking for. I don't want maybe neutered is the word I'm looking for. Hmm. There's no edge to it, really. I mean, some people might disagree with me i maybe for christian music i had an edge but not the kind of edge i really had as a person it was kind of all softened and rubbed away and i that's probably music business in general though i can't say that's entirely christian music's fault you know sure um but other than that it was really just the pressure to fit in with evangelical culture and even at that time i didn't really fit in with it because i had become a catholic in 2007 Hmm. i was one of the only catholic artists or Catholic people making Christian music in the mainstream at the time. And that number has grown now, but at the time it was me and it was Matt Marr and that was all. And so I had to go to these radio stations and they'd be like, yeah, you can't tell our listeners that you're Catholic, that they'll never fly. You know, you have to like, don't talk about it. And there's a lot that you just kind of have to walk on tender hooks around in the business for sure. And I hated that about it. It was my least favorite thing. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is, I mean, how do you feel about, I mean, Christian music, what, what always strikes me about Christian music too, like just that, that term. So, we, I mean, music is classified by genre mm-hmm. and genre is typically a, a style, right? right? So it's, 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 um, there's, <laughs> it's, there's a style to it. There's mm-hmm. maybe certain instrumentation or just different like R and B or rock. Or there, there's, there's musical styles that you look for there. Mm-hmm. Whereas Christian music, it's a, it's a catch all for lots of different types of styles, right. but it's really about the, the content of the lyrics is really what we're saying. Right. Exactly. Um, potentially it's thematic. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like the, the, um, 
the character of the person's life and the content of the words that mm-hmm. they're that they're saying mm-hmm. to classify me. So it's just it's kind of weird to me, but um, yeah, like that was always weird to me, even when I when I classified myself more as a Christian. But yeah, how do you feel about just the whole Christian music scene now, and then maybe about your looking back at like your music? How does what's your relationship with your music oh, when you look back now? Yeah, thanks. That's a good question. I. My well, so two different questions. My relationship to the scene now. It's interesting. I still, I still listen to worship music a lot, actually, and I don't believe basically anything they're talking about. Right. But there is something missing for me in that hole in particular. Basically, ecstatic, flow-centered, spiritual, transporting, transcendent that is i can maybe find in a few you know quote unquote secular bands but it's not the way bands work like worship music has a very certain type of flow to it that i i really miss and so i actually still listen to it a lot like there are a few videos on youtube i still pull up and i'm like i can't gotta i need this feeling and i don't even believe the ideas it's really interesting so that's my relationship to it now before you move on to the next one so do you yeah i think about that sometimes like do you feel like that it's because that was your vehicle to access some of like, I don't know, like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, was that because you were familiar with that and that's how you access that like different level or Yeah, or that, that may be what it is. I mean, it may just be the imprint of those experiences on my psyche, specifically those experiences in that world. It could be that. Sure. Um, I do think there's something to, okay, so like, indigenous cultures that I'm familiar with that I've researched all had kind of like ecstatic dance or ecstatic music traditions. Mm. And in Western American culture, we don't really have those rites of passage or those, those rituals that are community wide that come with different ages and different phases of life. Mm. Um, And I think worship music gave us like a sort of metaphorical bonfire to circle around and like basically whip each other up into a frenzy a little bit. Yeah. But there's not, there's nothing bad about that. It's just, it was marketed as something else that was very dependent on the idea of a personal God with a personal plan for each personal human being. Hmm. But what was actually going on, maybe maybe there's something all mystical going on too. I can't say. I don't know. I think so. It feels that way. Sure. But I think what was deeply physically going on was we were getting into flow state together. And we our nervous systems sort of need that and aren't given that in culture yeah. as much. And so it, that's how I kind of look at it, I guess, now. Yeah. That's why I'm so attracted to it. Okay. So then second part, what's, what is your relationship with your own music yeah. now? And then I guess I'll ask like another part to that one. Okay. Is... Have you ever had, now that you're sort of, you know, on the other side of the faith that we had before, I'll just leave it at that, I guess, for yeah. now, because we're going to get into this more. But have you ever had like a dear friend or family member, like maybe use your music to like try to pull you oh, yeah. back almost? Oh, yeah. Like, wonder who wrote these lyrics, you know, yeah. so, and send like an extra. Fans have done it. Friends wow. and family have all at some point or another done something like that. What about this thing you wrote? Don't you, aren't you the same girl who wrote this? You know? 
What's their go to? What's the go to <laughs> song? Or oh, line there's or? a song I have called "Slow." That talks about faith being. It says faith is not a fire as much as it's a glow. Uh, a a steady burning lamplight in the window, mm-hmm. and it's not too much. It's just enough to get me home. Love moves slow. Love moves slow. I've gotten that one quoted to me a few times, and I'm like, dude, wow. that's a good song. <laughs> that's what I think. I'm like, <laughs> that's how I. That was the depth and the breadth of the doubt I was able to express at the time. Yeah, but it was so much bigger already Mm. and i just couldn't admit it so that song is not even fully truthful about where i was but it was all i could muster at the time and so like when i look back at it or or any song that i've written i think of it as a perfect snapshot of where i was at the moment whether that be in the lyrics or in (laughs) what was underneath them you know it's just um and i i tried to tell the truth and I believed I was, and and you know what I'm saying? It was the truth I could understand, but I always tried to express how complicated it all was for me. So I still been, I'm just like, yeah, that's how all I could say at the time. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I don't have any regrets about it. Yeah. I mean, it, and it is this journey and, you know, I know that there are some that maybe go back and uh, try to clean up or, or remove some of their, and maybe some people need to, maybe there are some things that were just so far out there mm-hmm. and, and thinking of some books or whatever, but um, but you know, it's this journey and, and I do appreciate when someone kind of leaves that, that work out there to show this is, this is the path I've been on. And I, I guess along those lines to kind of sort of get into this, this journey a bit here, when, when did you start to see, you just mentioned already maybe seeing some, some things or having some, some cracks in the walls yeah. a little bit, even when you were writing that song, but yeah, what were some of those first memories of like, this, something's just not quite right oh i mean they're i'm lifelong but when it really began to interrupt my life i was it was probably 2013 or so and i just um my record no that's i must have been later i mean earlier sorry i feel like mm, when I became a Catholic, I can tell you this, when I became a Catholic, I had accepted this idea that the, the Catholic church was fully protected from error by the Holy Spirit and that all its dogmas and doctrines were true. I had, I had accepted this idea intellectually hmm. and then I became a Catholic and I very quickly realized that's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> like to experience the institution and all the things it contained mixed bag of beautiful and really horrendous things too. I was like, Nope, that doesn't make sense. And I, that was like 2008 or so when I think I started to really go like, wait a second, that claim is just not possible. Like I just couldn't get over it, but I tried so hard to believe it. Cause I was like, what if that's not true? And I actually have to plunge into the abyss of my doubt about all of this. Yeah. Terrifying. You know, I didn't want to do that. So I tried so hard not to, to fall in. And do you think your faith journey looked different perhaps because of the, you know, the, I guess the Christian music scene that you were in and how public your life was was it, was it maybe harder to to go down that path because um, there's more at stake I don't know yes I had the layer the added layer of fear of losing my income and 
the added layer of shame I felt about feeling that fear about losing my income, you know, <laughs> like by like, it just, and I'm not saying I was up there just telling lies. It's like, it's more like I couldn't get the nerve up to express or, or explore the doubts I did feel. And then what they did was they built up these pockets of fumes, like in my body and it was like the minute I pulled one thing out of the way, they all just like came roaring out because I had repressed them the whole time. Yeah. Trying to hold on to this career, my livelihood, and also reputation because it's a sort of like reputation based industry. You're like, yeah, like you said, the content of your lyrics and your standing in the community are what recommend you to people. And I just knew, like, well, if I take those things away, like, I have no, I don't, I don't even know where I would go. Like, what would I do? You know, it was just yeah. terrifying to think about that, for sure. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was, because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, he works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> I think all of us that have deconstructed, completely moved on from our uh, faith that we had, um, or somewhere along that spectrum, have had this moment, and I know I have, where you kind of first feel like an outsider in a group that you, or a setting or a group or whatever that that you used to feel Mm -hmm. totally comfortable in. And so I'm curious for you, did you have that moment? And if so, do you remember it? And can you talk about it? Mm. This is sort of an extreme example, but I'm not going to name it, although it's very easy to Google, okay? (laughs) I went to a place, a town in the United States that is a Catholic town, and this was probably 2012 or so 2013, maybe. No, maybe a little earlier, somewhere in those 2010, somewhere. Okay. And this town was built around a Catholic school, a college, and a Catholic church that they built there in a literal town square. It's supposed to be modeled after European towns where the church is the center of the village. And all around the church, they had one restaurant, one coffee shop, one salon, one dance studio, one gym, one clothing store. They had a Publix which did not sell contraception because of a mandate they were able to get as the town that is Catholic. Okay. Okay. They had all these gated communities around it where people moved. It was kind of like Catholic Disneyland. (laughs) Okay. 
And I went down there and I played a show at the school. And I felt like an alien. I was like, this is nuts. You know, like I, I could not, I was talking to some of the students at the one pub that's near the one church, you know, and they're all drinking beers because they're Catholics and Catholics are cool like that. They smoke cigarettes and drink beer. And I love that about that, that institutions that those things are allowed i'm like yeah thank you something totally. we had to have something <laughs> somewhere to put all that erotic frustration you know like <laughs> beer and cigarettes right anyway um so i was looking at them i'm like well, how did you decide to come here like to all these people i was meeting after yeah. this show and they're like oh you know my first school didn't work out and then my parents were like this place is cool because it's catholic and you can meet friends and but none of them had like picked that school the people i was talking to it was kind of just like a place they ended up i think it's probably different now because it's grown a lot but i just remember looking around and thinking i am in a dystopian movie this is so weird you know and it was like i left i played another show there one time and i was like i'm not coming back here yeah i actually went into the they have a brochure store like in the town square where you can get brochures about living at this town And I walked in there the second time I went and I talked to the lady who worked there and I was like, what is the, tell me, tell me everything about why you think this is a good idea. Cause I do not understand. Like I was so kind of like honest with her and she was just like, uh, you know, like, well, no one walks in there unless they're already sold on the concept. Cause they're not going to drive their asses to this Catholic town to go to this. So it was just so strange. I was like, this is bizarre. I cannot come back here. So I never went back and there were lovely people, amazing human beings. And I'm sure this is going to make their way. It's way to one of them. And I just want to say y'all were lovely, but that was so weird. Such a weird place to be. And it made me feel like a total outside. I was, I was like, I don't, I do not belong here. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of extreme, but still. that is, yeah. Wow. Definitely didn't know that place existed. It's an I experiment. Will be Googling it after the show. <laughs> yeah. um, do you still, I think I know the answer to this, but do you still call yourself Christian Catholic? I don't, don't refer to myself as those. No. Um, and I don't think of myself as a Christian. And I don't really know if I could, I mean, I was baptized Catholic. So Mm -hmm. I guess in that sense, I'm sort of, I'm Catholic in that sense, almost, it almost becomes a cultural marker, but, um, and I hesitate to say, and I love Jesus, although I do, because I feel like that can come across as like, I just left the institution, but I'm still in the story where Jesus came to die for my sins, but I'm not living in that story. So when you say you love Jesus, then what does that mean? What is that? Cause I I, I I see what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. What does that mean to you? I'm figuring that out. You know, I have a relationship to both the idea of Jesus I was handed and the idea of Jesus. I have sort of pieced together. Mm. All I have are those ideas. I don't have a person standing in front of me, you know, um, so I think at this point, what he can practically, practically be called is a guru or a spiritual teacher in my life, because I am for some reason still really drawn to the things he said, supposedly, uh, reportedly, <laughs> and the things that he was reported to have done. And the more I read the words of Jesus through the lens of the awakening I have undergone, the more I'm like, oh, 
oh, okay. Like he was communicating something deeper than these words were saying, like the, the, or what they actually pointed to. And a lot of it, I think, had to do with full aliveness and non-duality and things like that, that we, like my mind was not grasping those things in Jesus' words as a kid. Mm. Now I can read it that way. And I'm aware that I'm reading it through a lens, but we all are. And I'm like, I just yeah. admit it that I'm doing it, you know, yeah. and I'm okay with it. And so I have an affection for the composite mosaic of Jesus that I have somehow constructed. And I don't, I don't know if I can call it more than that because I'm not, I don't know, you know? So, yeah. I think that, I think that's saying, I don't know. I mean, I know for me, when my whole journey started, maybe like five, six years ago, that was one of the biggest things for me. I may mean, come from like reformed Baptist background where you don't say, I don't know. No. You know, I mean, that's like, Blessed assurance. you might as well say you're not a Christian. If, if you're going to say you don't know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all about being sure, giving an answer, yep. you know, showing your faith approved unto God by studying yeah. and proving and testing and yeah, and having a response, you know, just knowing where you stand on all the doctrines, and yep. yeah, that that just was so scary at first, and then free became so freeing to be like, I don't have to, I don't have to know what what I think about that, no. and and I can be comfortable in the in the spot that I really am right now, which is, I'm not sure, I really like yeah. a lot of the things Jesus said, and mm-hmm. I still, you know, maybe it's because that's what I was given as, and you know, in my formative years growing up, but I. I do love a lot of that story and I do still find myself thinking in, uh, in that yeah. sense as I kind of view the world or whatever, but that's all, that's really where it is right now. That's, that's yeah. as far as I can go, as far as I can say, but yeah, yeah. I, I feel that way. I feel like a little bit haunted by Christ and mm. I, I, he's a friendly ghost, um, the Christ or Jesus or both. Cause that's two different things as well, or, you yeah. know, they're two different names and right. I, I feel like a lot of people who've, wa- who've watched my journey unfold in public, a lot of people who are still in institutional Christianity are are laughing. And I, I imagine just laughing and they're like, oh, so cliche. Another, you know, millennial Christian becomes a Christ consciousness hippie right. and does psychedelics and oh, blah, blah, blah. Like I, that's the vibe I'm getting from people. They're like, oh, of course, you know? Yep. And I'm like, yeah, of course, like, of course that's what happened because I did psychedelics, which healed some of my PTSD symptoms and my trauma symptoms, but they opened the doors of my perception, which had been so shut tight by legalism and dogma and fear. And when my mind opened, I walked away toward that wide open field. Of course I did. Mm. Of course, when I realized that Rumi and taught Rumi's poem about a field that lies out beyond right doing and wrong doing. Of course, when I saw that, I walked toward it. Who would not want to do yeah. that? You know what I mean? So I'm just like, yeah, yeah it's a cliche for a reason. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I don't know. I'm passionate about how I, how I feel about it, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's get into that a little bit. I mean, a lot of us have, and a lot of listeners of this show have baggage, religious trauma of some extent that mm-hmm. they've encountered. Some do, some don't. But um, if you're comfortable, I mean, do you have any experiences that maybe listeners would resonate with? You said overcoming some of that mm-hmm. that PTSD. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've done, I started um, 
trauma work in 2016, I want to say, but I'd been in talk therapy before that for quite some time, but it was my therapist, my counselor, who was a Christian, recommended that I see a trauma therapist because of some of the symptoms I was exhibiting. And so I waited a year because I was terrified and then I did it. So probably around 2015, my counselor was like, you need to go to trauma therapy. And I was like, nope, nope, not going, you know, not when I don't want to do that. And then I started having anxiety attacks and physical tics and body issues and just like all this, Mm. whatever. So I finally was like, I gotta, I gotta do something. So I started doing EMDR work um, with a therapist, which, which really did help. I did that for a year and a half, but I was still experiencing a lot of anxiety and feelings of stuckness. And also like some of that, uh, the anxiety attacks were, were still there and, just not as bad. I wasn't having them every time I walked into a church building anymore, but I was still, you know, having them. I had them during sex a lot too. Mm. And I think a lot of that had to do with sort of purity culture stuff and the abuses that I experienced inside that system. Mm. And that was not getting better. It was getting worse. I was going to not only like talk therapy, trauma therapy, and then I was going to this physical therapist who was putting her hand. This is a real thing. It's called intravaginal trigger point release. She had put her hand up my vaginal canal and press on. She found trigger points that were tightened, like just like in a back. Wow. And she would press on it until it would release. And it was very painful. And then I would have trauma come up Wow. as she did it, you know? So I'd be crying on this exam table. I'm just like, I, everything is scary and I don't. And so that was when I decided I needed to try psychedelics. Wow. I had heard about them from a friend who was starting to use them for healing And I read the book by Michael Pollan that everybody's talking about called How to Change Your Mind. Mm. And I just read some of the studies from Johns Hopkins University. And I was like, okay, this is my medicine, I think. I need to do some psilocybin, some mushrooms. And I did that in January of 2019, so a little over two years ago. And that was really where everything began to change. Um, And I began to flourish and I began to heal in certain ways that I had not been able to figure out how to do. Wow. And it opened my mind. And I was already a nihilist by then, or a nihilist, as a lot of people would prefer me to pronounce it. But I was already a nihilist, functionally, by the time I did mushrooms. But I was still holding on to the story so tight because I just was begging it to be true. Mm -hmm. And when I did mushrooms, it's funny, ironically, Jesus was in my trip, a a featured player. Wow. He handed me the mushroom in the vision and was like, eat and you will understand. And I did. And then everything fell apart. (laughs) Everything fell apart. All meaning, all thinking, all critical analysis, all sound, all music, numbers, language, all fell apart and disintegrated. And I had to let go of all of it. And it was horrible. But as I went through that journey, Every time I would crawl up into the fetal position, which I did a lot, (laughs) this is so difficult. And I was in this basically void. I was in a void. Like it felt like the womb of the universe. It was like a tiny cocoon all the way out in outer space somewhere. And all I could feel and hear was the throbbing of a heartbeat somewhere far, far away. That's all I could feel or sense. And I was like, I don't know where I am. And I, and I rolled over into my, into the fetal position and it was like, God, the mother, this energy just came around me and said, is this what you were afraid of? 
like all the loss of all of these categories. Mm. I am here. I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> it was the first time I felt like I I knew or, or or that I had heard from a divine voice in I don't know how many years. And I came out of that experience, and there's so much more that went on because there are many phases to these journeys, but came out of that experience and I was like, I don't know if things mean anything. I don't know if there's a God, but I like how it feels mm. to feel like everything is connected in some way or that I'm connected to some source. And that's enough of a reason for me to ha to maintain some type of faith in the beyond. Wow. That's enough of a reason. I don't need to know if it's true. I choose it, you know? Not with the dogmas and not with the doctrines attached, but I chose meaning, basically, yeah. from a place where I had lost belief in that because of mushrooms. And then my eating disorder symptoms went quiet. I stopped biting my nails and I um, lost some of my food allergies. Really? <laughs> and then, yeah, and the anxiety went down, the panic attacks and all of that stuff it kind of saved me, wow. you know, in a way that I wanted Jesus to do so badly. Wow. And it, ca it came from the ground from cow shit. So <laughs> thank you, mother earth. Wow. That's, I gotta, I have to look into this. I gotta look into this more. <laughs> I've heard very little. Um, really? I think maybe some like through, yeah. Like Mike McCarg and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I want to I want to look into this more. And, you know, when you were talking about um, just how much like we evolve in our faith or leave it behind, like we're more it feels like we're more likely to do it the the deeper or the like farther we were in. And um, in these I saw this like meme the other day where it's like the more like mm -hmm. on fire you were or yep. maybe that's not even the right yep. word, but like the farther you were into these communities, yep. the, the farther out you go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it does feel like you were, you know, you're saying it's so typical, it's another whatever, yeah. but I think it's because, and we see a lot of these celebrities, musicians, just, I don't know, mm -hmm. doing this because they were, there's really only, there really is only one way to go. I mean, you're either going to stay where you are, or if you're going to, if you're going to progress, if you're going to grow, which is a very human thing to do. You're going to, you're going to move, mm -hmm. which is a very human thing to do. Take a step. You can't get more into, into it. So the only step you can take yeah, is, is a way, is a way. Exactly. Yep. I think that's very well said. It's a Okay, totally shifting gears here to, to kids. We both have kids. A lot of our listeners have kids or are around kids. This is the this is like the number one question we get, and I don't, I don't know if this is like something you you get a lot or you think about a lot, but like, what the heck do we do yeah. with with kids? And like, you know, kids do need some sort of yeah stability and ground to build on, and mm -hmm. you know, I think it's it's totally different for us to be able to we can be in these spots of just kind of more free thought and just trying to figure it all out and not really sure, but yeah, what do we what do we give our children? How have you found that experience? What what are you able to say to your, to your children? Hmm. Oh, well, I can only speak to where I am right now. I don't know where I'll be in five years about it. Um, one practice I try to have is just telling the truth about what I think. Yeah. So sometimes my son is actually in a Catholic school. Well, he was last year before COVID and he will be again in this, in the fall. 
and he's in first grade coming up this year and he's getting a Catholic education. And then sometimes he comes home and he says something like, well, God, he knows everyone and he knows everything about everyone. And I'll say, maybe, I don't really know. And he'll go, oh, <laughs> okay. You know, and sometimes he asks me a follow-up question and sometimes he doesn't, but I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to be honest about it. I don't really know, buddy. Like there could be a God who knows everybody and there could be not. Yeah. And he's like, he can, he's just like, he can grasp that, you know, he's like, oh, right. I grasp that that's actually sensible, yeah. you know? And I don't know what he'll feel in a few years when he starts really tuning into some of this stuff more, or if I'm going to be like, yeah, I can't put him in a Christian school or I, but I do think there is no avoid. It's not, you're not able to avoid the order disorder reorder thing that Richard Rohr talks about mm -hmm. because even kids who I, from what I've read, who are raised in very low, like loose and kind of unstructured environments usually go through a, an opposite phase before finding center. And so they get rigid and hyper ordered or fundamentalist or whatever in reaction to where they came from. So the best thing I can try to do is just keep him in some kind of middle space. Yeah. And the rest is just going to have to sort itself out for him. Like I've kind of, I think, freed myself a little bit from the pressure of like catechizing him in anything, including progressive or um evolved thinking or whatever it might be like mm -hmm. the more i get rigid about that the more he's going to react to whatever it is that i'm feeding him so sure. i'm trying to just let him know that there are many ways to look at everything and that all his questions are valid and his beliefs are fine with me i'm just like you be you yeah you know and I'll let you know when he's 25, how he's feeling and how he's doing. So I, I don't know. We'll have to check back in. No, I like that though. I mean, it's, if, if the goal is to keep them sort of in, or to, to be in center as a human, and then why not try to keep them in as much of a center yeah. position as possible all the time? And yeah. And then trust them to do whatever they're going to do on their journey. Cause that's their life, you know? Yeah. Were there any looking back on your childhood, you know, I think you already mentioned purity culture. That's probably a huge one. Um, any mm -hmm. other kind of harmful beliefs that, that you look back on and just go, man, if I could like take one of these away, like this mm -hmm. one would, yeah. I, just, I would remove this or I yes. would definitely keep this away from like, yeah. my children. It's the no self-pleasuring rule yeah. or teaching that not all Christians were taught by most Christians, or it was least implied that there was some shame around that. Um, that would probably be the first one because I honestly think it is the most fundamental disconnection from yourself that in purity culture that there is, is to say this, this relation, your sexual relationship to yourself, your, your relationship to your own pleasure is bad. Mm -hmm. I do not have many regrets in my life by which I mean things I wish I could take back and change. Because on one hand, I'm sort of like, it all belongs, right? Mm -hmm. Like one thing different, and I don't know who I'd be now. Sure. And I'm grateful for where I am. However, when I, if I could turn back time, <laughs> if I could find a way, I would not stand on stages like I did and tell people not to, that the, the, you know, ways to stop not only viewing pornography, but also masturbating. Yeah. I did that professionally in the sense that I got paid to come to schools 
high schools, colleges, and give what they called, you know, my testimony because I stopped masturbating and viewing pornography when I was 19. And I didn't masturbate again until I was 36 Hmm. once because I was so devoted to that principle. And I was so disembodied and so disconnected from myself that it damaged me. And I know now the science and the psychology behind self-pleasure and more about it anyway. And I really sort of regret um, teaching that. And I would hope my kids never experience that from me in any way yeah. um, or anything implying that there's something wrong with that. And that, that would be the biggest one for me, I think. So what would you say to, I don't know, just I'm going to pick an age here. Audrey at 14, 15 years old. Like what yeah. would you, what would you tell Audrey? Oh, could say something to her. I would tell her, cheer up. Oh, God is not that bad. You know, yeah. God is not that scary. God is not that judgmental. God is not that angry or, or neurotic or exacting. And you're doing great. And like everything about you is okay. I I think I would just try to just heal her from the, ugh, the rigid and like, uh, constant self-examination and criticism of self and trying to show God how much I believed. And it was just so exhausting and like all consuming. And I would just want to liberate her from that, you know, totally just stressing wow. myself out, you know? Yeah. Ah, these burdens we walked around with and then just, yeah. I know for myself too, just feeling just all the time from a young, I think it motivated my uh, getting into ministry, full-time ministry, getting into trying to you know, almost like into the poverty gospel a bit, just because I think I had this insecurity that God doesn't love me, mm-hmm. that ultimately from a young age, whether it's original sin or, uh, you know, as a Calvinist, it was um, total depravity and just these these ideas that from before I did anything, there was something wrong with me. You know, we have this this chasm we draw, right? Where like humans are on one side, God's on the other. I mean, this is the picture that I, I remember from like mm-hmm. being a little kid. And, you know, we, we know now what this does to a, a child and they don't have that secure attachment to, to a parent. But um, now, you know, even to, if you're told that there's this divine being, then to not have that secure attachment to that divine being is really damaging. Um, but yeah, we, we did. We walked around with so many burdens. I love that. Just mm-hmm. this, you know, every everything is good. Everything about you is good and, and it belongs. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, we have a lot of listeners, I think, that are maybe just starting on a journey of, and maybe it's even a bit scary, starting on this journey of, of questioning some of their faith or starting to see those cracks in the wall um, still in their churches and just... It's like not sitting right. Something's not sitting right here. I'm just, it, it doesn't sound like what it used to sound like to me when I would hear these exact same words. Mm-hmm. How would you encourage maybe someone that is just beginning this journey um, to finding something new? Oh. I can picture that, you know, that feeling that out, the feeling at the outset and how it might feel like you're about to hike the Pacific Crest Trail or something. 
like you're about to embark on the PCT and you're not sure if your hiking boots are going to hold up or if they're going to blister your feet or if your backpack is going to be too heavy. And I can say with confidence that all of those things will happen. And also, if you walk this road, you will see and experience more freedom and more beauty than you could ever imagine was available to you. And it will be hard and stressful and scary, but that's all part of it. And it's almost, uh, the only thing I can say from my experience is that um, I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad I left. Mm. I'm glad I did that work and that I continue to do the work because now I can sort of live every day with the awareness that I don't know and that I can hold life loosely and spirituality loosely. And that way, if I evolve and I change in future, hopefully it won't be this giant, you know, identity crisis. Yeah. Cause I'm just going to try to float in the river from here and like be in the flow of it. Um, but that work was well worth it and I've never been happier. So yeah. Keep going. If you feel that call, mm. you know, in your heart to go west or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay, last question I ask mm-hmm. everyone that comes on this. You know, we we live in pretty interesting times, <laughs> I think, uh here in the west, here in America. Um there's a lot to be pretty discouraged about, I think, as we look out and we see just these divides that we have and um just some things that we're still wrestling with, still working on in this country and Sometimes it feels like there's no progress that's been made in 150, 200 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. I know there is, but when I get really discouraged, that's where I am. But anyways, I'd like to ask where, where, where are you finding hope? Where, where, or what gives you hope these days? I know that I find hope in a few things that are popping into my mind. One of them is the emotional intelligence of teenagers today. Mm. I've met, you know, a few people recently who are young, 12, 13, 14. And they're saying things like, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And I'm not sure if I think the same thing, but I hear what you're saying, you know? And, uh, Thank you for sharing. <laughs> and I know that some people might think that's just language, but there's no such thing as just language. All the words that we speak and hear in our culture are part of our, they embed themselves into our worldview and our framework, especially phrases like hold space and thank you for sharing. Creates a concept that we then picture in our minds when we're talking to people, you know, becomes reality. And I find a lot of hope in the fact that teenagers know how to talk about their feelings. They know how to hold space for disagreement. I think that is a huge improvement in our species. I find a lot of hope in that. Um, I also take, I think, a lot of hope from, um, well, having personally witnessed several to many people in my own life do really, really amazing work healing themselves from their trauma. And... Um, integrating all those things into themselves um, so that they can be healthy, happy, and whole. I know so many people doing that work. So many. 
I'm, I'm just thinking there's no way there are not ripple effects from that, from a whole generation of people in my, in my world in millennialism, not all people are doing it, but a higher number than ever before in my generation who are having children right now, raising kids are doing the work of self-awareness and trauma healing. And I think there's no way that's not going to ripple effect in a positive way in this planet, on this planet. And those are probably the two spaces where I, I feel the most hope for the future. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. I was getting just excited listening to that. And um, I just really appreciate how open and honest you were. And thanks so much for um, this conversation. I think it, it really is in telling our stories and um, and being open and honest. I mean, it's it's these, it's us who have walked this journey, who who were in those the shoes. I often think about like, how, how can we convince someone? How can we like show someone who's who's maybe still in that world. Mm -hmm. And like, how can we say like, there's, there's potentially something better. There's potentially something out there for you. Um, And it's really going to be, it's going to be us telling our stories and our experiences, those of us that have, that have been there. So I appreciate you doing that and um, with your podcast as well and, and all the work you're doing now, but yeah, that honesty and that openness to, to be real about it and just be who you are authentically, who you are. That's just a great lesson. feels like that you've learned and now you're walking in. Thank you for mirroring that to me and for having me um, on for your questions. Thanks, Audrey. All right. Well, thanks for spending this time with me today. I love reading your stories and thoughts and how these conversations are hitting you. You can email me at contact at almostheretical.com. And if you want to have conversations with others that are on this same journey, I host a monthly Zoom call where we talk about many of the topics from this show, break into groups, hear each other's experiences, and it's really encouraging. I hope you'll join the next one. You can RSVP at almostheretical.com. All right, I'll catch you next time.